Good morning. If I've had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, and uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm honored that uh, I get to share a few words with you, and hopefully um, God can take them and do something with them. I don't know. I don't know what that'll be for you, but uh, I'm excited about today. I'm going to share some stuff. I'm going to get. Um, I'm going to be a little vulnerable. Um, we're in a second uh, week of our, our series, Soul Detox. We're, we're spending some time in January just talking about some toxins in our life that uh, we want to get rid of. Last week, Alyssa talked about shame and uh, kind of shared some thoughts on how we can maybe have shame less in our lives and work through some of that. Um, this week, I want to I talk about the toxins associated with unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. You know, and this is really interesting. I don't need to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you this anyways. Um, it is entirely possible for someone to come up here like myself and to talk, um, to uh, share some stories, uh, share some, maybe, even, maybe even some profound thoughts that you're like, oh, man, that's, oh, that's brilliant. Or maybe uh, um, say something that God uses. It's entirely possible for all of that to happen and for it to have no impact on the person up front. Okay, so you know that, I know that, we, now we've named it out loud. Um, and I, and I, that's sometimes when I, when I preach, uh, and I'm sure when, if you ever speak publicly, you just, you've got to just, uh, you're sharing something and someone needs to hear it, not necessarily you. Um, today though, this week especially, and I'm not exactly sure why, I wanted, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? But I wanted to kind of get a little more up close and personal with this particular topic. I wanted to, I wanted the thoughts that I'm going to share with you to be lived out, that, that they are rooted in something that I've personally experienced. And so this week, this is what I did. I, uh, I went upstairs to our little library upstairs, and I, I got uh, comfortable in our little uh, armchair that you can imagine would be in a little library. And uh, I'm in this armchair with all of the books and uh, a cup of coffee and my laptop and my journal and my Bible, and I just cleared my mind, and I started searching in my heart and in my past stories of unforgiveness. I asked two questions. One is, when have I hurt someone? You know, if I can answer that, then I know where I need to ask for forgiveness. So where, where, when and what, where have I hurt someone? And two, when have I been hurt by someone? You know, if I can answer that, then I can really kind of look for those places where I need to give forgiveness. So isn't that, uh, isn't that a great morning activity? to start your week off with, to sit down and just ask, you know, where is there still pain in my life from, from past events? And, and where have I caused pain that I'm still sitting with a little bit of guilt from? That's how I began my week. And uh, I was really looking for any remnants in my heart of, in, and in my soul of guilt and bitterness. But these are the kind of like the, the and, and there's lots of other ways we could describe it, but these are the words I've chosen for, the, for today. But these are kind of like the two toxins of unforgiveness, guilt um, and bitterness. They're kind of the two sides of the same coin, both toxins associated with unforgiveness. So here it is. Bitterness, bitterness can take all kinds of forms. It can be as aggressive as anger and rage, but it can be as passive as um, deep insecurities and detachment and isolation. And it's a really nasty toxin because it tends to be entirely justified. Like when you've been hurt, you know you should be upset about it. Like you, you're, you're hurt and you're upset for a reason. It's in, in oftentimes an entirely justified reason. And you want 
justice. You want things to be made right, and maybe, maybe you want the other person to suffer, right? You want revenge, these types of things. But over time, even though it's completely natural and even healthy to be upset when you're hurt, it can turn into bitterness. And if left unchecked, that is a toxin that poisons us. Guilt is similar. When we hurt other people, we feel guilty. It can take on all kinds of forms. It can be as aggressive as, as, as being extremely defensive or combatant, um, but it can also be passive. It can make us feel like we're the victim. It can bring on depression. It can bring on feelings of shame and embarrassment. And it's also natural, and it's also really healthy. When you've been hurt, or when you hurt someone, you should feel bad about it. I don't know if, in fact, I think it's only psych, uh, sociopaths that don't. I think, I don't that's not in my notes, but I think that's, that's like the definition of a sociopath is like you hurt things and people and you don't feel bad about it. So you should feel bad when you hurt people. But once again, if guilt is allowed to remain, pain, it too becomes a toxin that will poison you. So I'm, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm thinking through my own stories. And I came up with a lot of stories. Um... More stories of where I've hurt people than where I've been hurt, interestingly enough. I don't know what that says about me, but there you go. And I really feel like the only way I can share with you how we can detox is to just walk you through the journey I went on. So here's one of the stories I came up with. When I was in my early 20s, um, long before I met Alyssa, uh, I met a girl. And she was friends of a friend, and we started talking, and then hanging out, and then dating. And I risked getting close to her. And I, and I did. I got so close that I just fell over for her. And uh, she was the first girl that I had ever really felt this way towards. And I was young and naive and didn't know any better. Now I'm just old. But after dating for a couple of months, um, I went away. I was a youth pastor at the time, and uh, I took our youth group on a mission trip. Pretty, pretty classic thing to do. And uh, on my way home from Tennessee, where we were serving on this mission trip, uh, I called her, and she was crying, and she wouldn't tell me what she was crying about. She was very, very upset. I can be very persuasive, though, and I got her to talk to finally confess. And it turns out, first off, let me just say, this is an entirely true story. Turns out, she's at the airport, and she's moving to New Orleans. And she's, she's moving there. She's not going just for, you know, a random visit. Uh, and she's not moving there because she's always wanted to live there, although that might have been true. She's literally moving there because it was her way of breaking up with me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what, what kind of person I am that someone has to move to New Orleans to break up with me, but maybe now you know more about me than, than you want to. But... Friends, and it sound, this, is, this is a true story. This actually happened. And as strange and even maybe funny it is now to even me, imagine a young 20-year-old whose girlfriend moves across the country to get away from them. So I'm sitting in my library this week, and I'm trying to search for the pain left from people who've, uh, from past hurts and any times that I might need to forgive someone, and this story came to mind. And so uh, I could still remember what that pain felt like. For weeks, I was, uh, I was depressed, and um, it, was, it, was really, it was just a really difficult thing to comprehend. Um, and so I sat, question reflected, and 
I'm talking about unforgiveness today, so I, I asked myself the question, the question that I'm going to be honest with you, I had never asked before in this particular story. Had I ever forgiven her? Now, don't get me wrong, I've, I've moved on, um, I've healed, I mean, you know, like, there's not, I don't think of this story, it doesn't come to mind, I, like, literally have to sit down and think of past hurts in order for this story to come to mind, so I'm like, I've totally... I'm fine. This isn't some sort of strange public confession where I'm not ready to be healed. But now I'm asking the question, have I actually forgiven her for what she did? It's not the best way to break up with someone. And even more than that, what does it even mean to forgive her at this point? And if I haven't forgiven her, do I risk small bits of this unforgiveness toxin in my system? And it, was it, what, is it hurting me in ways that maybe I'm not even aware of? That's one story, one, one to consider, and uh, I considered it, and so then I thought, well, let me flip the coin and see what I can find on the other side. Here is one story. Growing up, I had a, a friend, a close friend, best friend, and uh, he had spent a lot of time volunteering at the local youth center, same as me. Well, we volunteered there all through high school together. We volunteered uh, into college, and even after college, we worked and volunteered at different times at this youth center. Well, um, my, uh, one time back in high school, my friend uh, developed this uh, crush on a girl. Yes, all of my stories have to do with girls and crushes, and so sorry. Alyssa, I didn't even notice this. Alyssa, of course, pointed this out as I was telling her ahead of time. So relax. She knows what I'm talking about today. Um, yeah, all had to do with dating. So, um, so I knew he had a crush, um, but it, you know, a couple weeks, maybe months, but probably just weeks had passed, so... I assume this crush had two, so I asked her out, and we dated. Yeah. I, I dated the girl my best friend had a crush on. Friends, this, this is why this is so terrible. If you're in a, if you're, no, think about this. If you're in, like, a very, like, civilized society, this is wrong. But even if you're in prison, and you've killed someone, and I told them I dated the girl that my best friend had a crush on, they would be like, seriously? You know, like, in all classes of society, this is the wrong thing to do. And this is the worst part. It happened again years later. I dated a different girl that he had. I'm not telling you this as some sort of unhealthy public confession. I'm telling you this because I sat down this week and I asked myself, where have I been hurt? Where I've hurt people. I came up with a lot of stories. This is one I'm comfortable sharing with you, okay? And I'm sitting there. Now, here's the thing. My friend ended up getting married, um, actually just, uh, I think, last year or the year before. Met a girl, fell in love with her. Uh, I saw the relationship blossom on social media. And, of course, all the guilt from what I, you know, came back up. And so I reached out to him. We, you know, we had gone our separate ways and um, we're on, you know, we weren't on non-speaking terms, but uh, I reached out to him. I just said, you know, I'm so happy for you, and uh, um, and I just want to say, man, I was like, I was a real jerk, and I, like I, I laid it out, and I and I asked for his forgiveness, and he's he was so understanding. Um, he's he's a great guy, he really is, and uh, he forgave me. Uh, much better person than I am, but but even with sort of his forgiveness. Um, I'm sitting there thinking about this, and I, I still had to ask the question. You know, I, I still wonder, does he really forgive me? I think we all maybe wrestle with that when we've hurt somebody, don't we? 
But then I asked the follow-up question, do I even forgive myself for that, you know? And, and what does it even mean to forgive yourself? Um, I mean, I, I'm confident in God's forgiveness, but what does it mean for me to forgive? And, I, and if I haven't forgiven myself, um, is there still some unforgiveness toxins in my life floating around somewhere in my system that is hurting me? Now, here's what, I, here's what I'm guessing, and this is a gamble, friends. This is such a gamble. I, I'm a risk taker, so I'm taking it, but, and I could be wrong, but I'm guessing that if you sat down and you asked yourself, where have I been hurt, and when have I hurt someone else, you could come up with stories too. You could. Some of you, maybe not. I don't know. You're that good of a person. But most of us, if we're honest, if we sat down and really thought about it, yeah, we've been hurt, and we've hurt people. In fact, if I was to guess what those stories looked like, or where those stories might live, I, I would guess, and I could be wrong here too, but I would guess there's a good chance that they'd be housed in one of, one of four places. This isn't an exhaustive list, but this is just what I've heard from this community, some places where hurt tends to find themselves. The first one is this, with a significant other, a spouse or a girlfriend. Hurt often happens in the relationship, intimate relationship with a spouse or someone you're dating, in fact, I would say you, you can't date or marry someone without needing to give and receive forgiveness. It just it doesn't happen. So if you were to think of some stories where you've caused hurt or where you've been hurt, there's a good chance it involves somebody you were intimate with. Two, I would say with your parents or your family. Hurt often found, and, and this is something that I've, I've noticed in a lot of stories. I'm, I'm talking real personally here. There's people who've been really hurt by their family or they've been really hurt by their parents really hurt by their dad or by their mom or the relationship that they had. Number three, and this one kind of surprises me, but this is just true for our community. It might not be for every community, but number three is with the church or with a person of faith. That hurt has shown up in, in people's lives, in this community especially, where they've been hurt by the church, by a person of faith, by maybe a particular pastor, or maybe even by an entire denomination, and there's hurt and maybe even bitterness. And the last one, of course, is just friends and peers. Hurt can easily show up, not just with family, but with people who are like family. And, and, and because in each of these, whether it's your spouse or your parent or your friend or your church, they all have the same thing in common. Each of these has the ability to hurt us because we've risked getting close. Friends, guilt and bitterness is a result of hand-to-hand combat. It's because you got close enough to get those kinds of wounds. So here's what I have to say to you, first off, before we go any further. If you've ever felt guilt or if you've ever felt bitterness because of a close relationship, I want to say congratulations. You risked being known. You risked being in a relationship, which is a scary thing to do, but you did it. You showed up. You got hurt in the process, but that's good. And here's what I'm trying to say. The solution to being hurt, to guilt, or bitterness, or either side of the coin, isn't to avoid people. It might be avoiding some people for some seasons of your life, but the solution isn't to choose to live as a hermit. It isn't avoiding relationships at all. The solution is, is, has to be where you keep being brave enough to show up. And when problems arrive, you offer forgiveness, you receive forgiveness. Isolation isn't the answer. Forgiveness is. 
So here's the thing about forgiveness. I spent this whole week kind of wrestling with forgiveness and trying to wrap my mind around it. And it's one of those things that you think is like really simple to understand until you think about it. And then you're like, what is actually going on here? I looked it up, of course, Googled it. Simple definition would read something like this. Forgiveness is when you stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. And you know what? That makes sense. Um, but for me, that feels a little bit more like a description of what happens when forgiveness has already taken place. You know, like, I know forgiveness has happened because I'm no longer resentful, right? So it doesn't really help me understand what it is or how get there, unless I'm just to will myself to no longer be resentful towards someone, which doesn't feel right. Um, so after wrestling with this a lot, reading some books, spending some time in scripture, prayer, reflection, and, and trying to apply some ideas to my own stories, this is what I came up with. It's not the final definition, but it's one definition, and I think it's a definition that I hadn't thought of that maybe you haven't either that could be helpful as you wrestle with this. So I'd encourage you to write this down and think about it and see if it's helpful. If it's not helpful, throw it away. But here it is. Forgiveness is choosing to believe that what someone does is not the same thing as who they are. Okay. Forgiveness is the belief that our behavior doesn't define our being. Just think about that for a second. Forgiveness is choosing to believe that what someone does is not the same thing as who they are. Let's work with this for a second. Guilt, um, the feeling uh, of guilt comes because you know you did something wrong. Um, and it's wrong because, it's wrong specifically because you didn't have to do it. If, if there was no choice, then then there's no option, but it's wrong because there was a choice. You could do so. There's a different, and it was wrong because you could do something different in the future. Um, and, it, and so there's a sense that guilt means that you don't have to be defined by it, that you can make different choices moving forward. So when I need to forgive someone, I'm basically asking the question, do I believe that who they are is deeper than the actions they've had towards me? Bitterness. Bitterness likes to shine a spotlight onto someone that their entire identity, as we think about them, is wrapped up in what they did to us. That's what bitterness does. That what they did once or a culmination of all of their sins against us, that we define their existence by the thing they did to us. They lied, that makes them a, they committed adultery, so they are a, they killed, so that makes them what? Right. That's how we see them, that's, they, they are to us what they did to us, or they are what they did. Forgiveness is choosing to see them as a human, not primarily defined by that behavior. They lied, but they're still human. And had committed adultery, but that isn't the only thing that's going on to, to, to define their identity. They're more than an adulterer. They're a father and a brother and a child of, of God. They might not be my spouse anymore, but, but they're not an adulterer. They killed someone, but even, even still, they, forgiveness is the idea that they don't have to be defined by that one action. 
So, so the girl, the girl who left me for New Orleans, she's, she's more than that one action, isn't she? We know that. And that action was wrong. I mean, it was wrong at the time. It hurt me. It was strange and weird thinking about it now, but she's more than that. And so I wanted to practice this. So I'm sitting in my chair. I'm thinking through this story. I'm thinking through this particular definition I've offered for forgiveness. And I, I even said out loud, she is more than what she did to me. What I realized by saying that is that I had been defining her entirely by that one instance. And when I said it out loud that she's more than what she did, that what she did doesn't have to define her friends, there was this kind of like peace that came over me. Hard to explain. It was like this burden was lifted. It was, it was almost like a little bit of toxin worked its way out of my body. So I thought I'd try the other side of the coin. Um, asking for forgiveness when you need it, um, the other person, you're asking the other person not only to forgive you, you're essentially asking them, will you be willing to define me not simply by this one thing I've done against you, right? I'm, I'm asking you to think of me as something more, um, which is actually a really courageous thing to do, to ask someone for forgiveness. It's bold. It's, it's bold. You're saying, I want, I want you to know that what I did was wrong, um, and I clearly hurt you, and I'm feeling that hurt too, and I don't want to do it again, which is another way of saying what I did isn't who I am. So I sat in the library this week, and, and I asked myself, you know, specifically with, that, with the story I shared, did I actually, have I actually ever forgiven myself? Um, do I believe that who I am isn't the same thing always as what I've done? And, and let me just tell you that I don't know that I entirely believe that. I'll just be straight with you. I, I'm not sure that I'm convinced. I'm, I'm, I'm not buying, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid yet. I'm like, no, what I do is a big part of who I am, right? But I thought, you know what? I'll just, I have a big enough imagination, I'll just pretend to believe it for a few moments to see how it feels. So I'm just like dipping my toe in the pool of forgiveness. Just, And I did. I, and so I said out loud, I said, what I've done doesn't define who I am. And friends, I was just like, just even pretending to believe it brought over this deep sense of peace almost like this toxin was being worked out of my soul. I've been watching a show called Crashing. It's about uh, Pete Holmes, um, uh, sponsored by uh, Peter, by the way. Your HBO pass. Thanks. Um, he's a, uh, that's probably inappropriate to say. Unethical? Whatever. He's, a, he's an evangelical that was raised uh, in the church. Very nice guy, very proper, very, very clean cut, you know, all of that. And uh, he wants to become a stand-up. So he enters the world of stand-ups with all of their, you know, crash behaviors and, and rude jokes and drugs and parties and all that. And, uh, you know, it's really not a show a good pastor or holy person should watch. I've been enjoying it a lot. And, <laughs> and there's this one scene in particular that really, you know, struck me. Pete had organized this comedy night where he... Um, it's a fundraiser for a friend who has this disease, and he had asked his friend, Artie Lang, who's a very inappropriate, um, he's known for being on Howard Stern, so he's not a great, you know, great guy, not a Christian by any means, but he's friends with Pete Holmes, and he says, well, you headline this show, this fundraiser show, and Artie says yes, and, uh, and everyone comes to hear all these comedians, but to hear Artie Lang, because he's, he's famous, I guess. And the night of the show, though, um, Artie, who's the headliner, doesn't show up. 
I mean, you, can you imagine? You throw in this big show, people have paid money, they're coming to see the headliner, but they're sitting through like two hours of stand-up comedians they'd never heard of to get to the headliner, then there's no headliner. He's, He's been there. So people are mad. Pete feels embarrassed and hurt. I mean, it's, he's been hurt. Artie, like, let him down. Well, later that night, he runs into Artie. He, he, he shows up. And Pete's mad. Rightly so, right? Bitterness, anger, it's justified. He's been hurt. So he, he calls Artie out. He's like, Dude, where were you, you know? And Artie, he's like, when he sees him, he's just like, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. But he said sorry like it was no big deal, you know? Like, he said sorry, but what he really meant was, Dude, man, get over it. You know, you know, and think about that for a second. It's entirely possible to say, I'm sorry, and what you really mean is, stop bothering me about it. Okay? That's not asking for forgiveness. That's something different. And, and, and so this is, this is what asking for forgiveness means. It's one, you acknowledge that you hurt somebody. And then you allow their hurt to impact you. We call that remorse. So you take on their pain. Remorse, empathy. So you acknowledge it. You allow it to impact you. You confess. That's where you say, I'm sorry. And then you, you make some kind of step towards not doing it again. You know? Like you make your, it was wrong, so you're not going to do it. Well, Artie doesn't do any of those things. And Pete knows it, so he gets really upset. He gets even more angry with him. And he pushes back, and they argue. And then finally, Artie, you know, he, he gives in, and he just admits, instead of acknowledging pain, instead of feeling remorse or any of those things, he admits that he was outscoring drugs. And then he says something really profound. He doesn't acknowledge, he doesn't show remorse, he doesn't make any steps to, to saying I'm going to change. He does the exact opposite. And I show you this story because I think we do this too. He says, you know what, you know what, I'm just a bad person. That's what he says. He says, I'm just a bad person, that's who I am, I'm a bad person. Almost like to say, like, you shouldn't expect anything better from me, that's just who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad friend. He doesn't use bad, by the way, but I'm, it's HBO. He's like, I'm a bad friend, and, and that's just who I am. So he, no remorse, no willingness to own that his actions were wrong, he just says, I'm wrong. Alyssa talked last week about shame. And this is the difference between shame and guilt. She, she explained this. Shame says, I am bad. And guilt says, I did something bad. And I think if we're honest, shame is a lot easier than guilt, based on that definition. Because guilt is admitting that your actions were wrong means that you could have done something different, that, that you can do something different, that, that, you, that you shouldn't hurt people, that you, should, that you should feel the hurt when you've hurt them as well, and that you should try not to do it again. Shame ends the conversation. Well, that's just who I am. But guilt opens it up and creates the possibility for forgiveness. And when we forgive, we meet someone again in their guilt, and we say, what you did was wrong, and you shouldn't do it again but I forgive you for that action. In other words, what you did was bad, but what you did isn't who you are. I, w I wonder if uh, some of this seems a little crazy. Um, in fact, I wonder if even feels a little unfair to separate people's identity from their behavior. I've wondered this the whole time I've been thinking about this and praying about this sermon, uh, whether I'm being too generous with forgiveness. Don't raise your hand, please, but how many of you are secretly thinking, Joe, this is too generous, you're being too generous? If someone does something terrible, they are a terrible person. If you're thinking that, um, that's entirely fair, and, uh, and it even feels true sometimes. 
So let me explain just two things that, that, that I have in response to that for anyone who might be feeling that in the room or wrestling with us. The first is this. If you think this is too generous, then understand this. You need to know that when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation, okay? Forgiveness, I'm suggesting today, we'll play with it and see if it's true, based on my understanding of Scripture, forgiveness is willing to recognize someone's worth is not determined primarily by their behavior. Reconciliation is something different. Reconciliation is about entering back into a relationship after it's been damaged. And here's the thing I want you to, to hear. You shouldn't necessarily be reconciled to everyone you forgive. Okay? Forgiveness, I think, is always worth pursuing. Without it, I think bitterness will eat our soul up. Um, and guilt, I think, is a, is a burden that we can't carry forever. So forgiveness, whether it's we're asking for it or, or we're giving it, it's something we should always pursue. But that doesn't mean that you're forced to be in a relationship with the person that you're forgiving or that you're being forgiven. In fact, I would say the more, the deep the pain, uh, the more violent or abusive the behavior, uh, the less change or signs of repentance, all of these and probably a lot of other things are factors that weigh into whether reconciliation is even possible. Um, so you might be able to forgive them, and when you do, you can be healed, but that doesn't mean your relationship necessarily is always going to be healed, depending on how severe it is, okay? Does that make sense? So that's the first thing, right? Forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation, and that's important, especially when there's abuse involved and a lack of safety. But um, if you're still thinking this is too generous, that's fair as well, but you need to understand this. This is not my idea. I, I didn't come up with this. Um, this is what Christianity teaches. This, this is how God sees the world. And, and so it might be too generous. God is, that's just because God's too generous. And that's, I can't help you there. That's just God is that generous. God is willing to look at us through Jesus and say, what you do doesn't define who you are. doesn't matter what it is. Scripture teaches us that humans no matter who they are or who they've hurt or what they've done wrong, that they, they have inherent value, that their value and their worth, that your value and your worth is not tied to what you do or don't do. In fact, I would say this. This is the heart of the gospel. No amount of good will be good enough to make God love you more, and no amount of bad will be bad enough to make God love you less. Might be hard to believe but that's the heart of the gospel. In fact, if you want to understand the gospel or the power of the gospel, then imagine this. Imagine a world where the worst of sinners, you know, like the man on death row for doing the unimaginable things to the world's most vulnerable. Imagine someone like that and imagine a world where his actions weren't the final sentence on his identity, where even him or her, if he wanted, could be forgiven and given a clean slate. Imagine a world where the worst actions imaginable didn't, weren't the final sentence on someone's soul, a world where one's actions could actually be forgiven in miraculous ways. They were changed. If you can imagine a world like that, friends, you have taken a giant step towards understanding the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks so much about. The very kingdom of heaven. Now, this isn't the world as we know it, but it's the world as God is creating it. It's the world that God is ushering in through Jesus and through us, a world that is defined by grace and love. And this is what it looks like. 
One time Jesus was sitting with some really just uptight, judgmental, probably in a bad mood, you know, religious people. He's hanging out with them. He, hang out, he hung out with them all the time. And, uh, in, uh, and they're getting all really super stressed out because in walks into the room a prostitute who sits at the feet of Jesus. So you just got to imagine a sex worker uh, coming into a board meeting of a nonprofit and sitting at the president's feet or, you know, something like that. Very inappropriate. And like, what, are you, what is going on here? And everyone, and, and, and the person being really nice to them, right? So everyone couldn't believe that Jesus would interact with such a sinful person because she, she did sinful things. She did terrible things. So that makes her terrible. It makes her a sinner, right? And Jesus can tell that that's what they're thinking. And I'm not entirely sure it's because he was divine and could hear their thoughts, but because that's what everyone thinks, right? That's what we think, and we do it to each other all the time. What you do is who you are. But that's not how Jesus I love sees her. So he tells them a story, a very simple story. I love this. He's sitting in a room with all these uptight religious people, and this prostitute's at his feet worshiping him. And he said, you know, it's like, perfect time for a story, everyone. He says, let me tell you a story of these two people. They were in debt. One owed uh, a guy uh, $8,000, and the other owed a guy $80,000. Same guy. And against all odds, the guy whose the money was owed to decides to forgive them both. So he forgives the guy, your $8,000 that you owe me, don't worry about it. I forgive it. And the $80,000 that you owe me over here, don't worry about it. I forgive you. And then in this room of these people, Jesus finishes the story, and then he asks the people the question. He says, now, which of these two guys would love him more? Everyone kind of looks around and says, well, the one who's been forgiven 80000 of course. They still don't get Jesus' point, so he goes on to say this. He says, and he says it with the, room, with the woman still in the room, he says, I tell you, and he's talking to all these people, her sins have been forgiven. Jesus is basically saying, the moment she walked in the room, I saw her for the child of God that she is, and I didn't hold her sins against her, and I didn't let the behavior of the past to define who she is today, that her sins were forgiven. And he's like, I'm God in the flesh. I can forgive sins, and I, can, I have ultimate authority over people's identity, and I'm saying that she is forgiven, that what she has done doesn't define who she is, and she's clearly, clearly grateful and then he looks at all these uptight religious people and he says, he basically says she has all of this love because she's been forgiven much. And then he says, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. He, he says, here's this room of people who've studied God, who understand all of the theology of the Hebrew God. And he says, this woman now understands something about life and about God that you will never understand because she has been forgiven much. And now she has the capacity to love and forgive in ways you never will. You know, I think for those of us, and I'll put myself in the camp, considering the stories I shared with you about as worse as it gets, that when we predominantly do good things, we kind of like the idea that our behavior defines who we are. I do good things, I'm a good person. <laughs> Those, of course, whose majority of life has been lived in brokenness and bad decisions. And so I, there's a great amount of hope that comes that maybe my behavior doesn't define me. 
And so I think actually our good behavior is a barrier to really knowing who we are. Because we'd like to think we're just good because we do good. But I want to suggest that it's actually when we're forgiven. We recognize that our identity is not in our behavior or someone else's behavior. That we can really understand what it means to be human, to love God. And that the more we're forgiven, the more capacity we have. You want to be more forgiving, here's how you do it. Receive more forgiveness for yourself. It opens it up. In our faith, especially in the last hundred years, churches and pastors have often talked about the sinner's prayer. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to be closing here. Um, They've talked about the sinner's prayer, and it's a simple prayer. It was a prayer that Billy Graham and a bunch of other evangelists have used in various versions. It says this. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. People have often used this prayer as kind of like a one-way ticket to heaven. You know, say the prayer, and you're, you're, you're good to go, and you're on board. And I don't agree, disagree with that. Um, it's a good prayer, but I wonder if one of its other purposes, maybe even its real purpose of God, of going to God and asking for forgiveness, was by doing so, we weren't just securing a spot in some future kingdom, but we now have the capacity to usher in God's kingdom here on earth. That because we've honestly received forgiveness, we now have the capacity to look at other people beyond what they do and be able to offer them forgiveness as well. That when we're forgiven, we're able to love much as well. So I'm going to pray this prayer as we close. And I invite you to um, silently, um, if you want all eyes you know, closed and heads bowed, we can do that too. That's a thing. Um, But I just want to invite you into a season, into a few moments where we can wrestle with our own stories, wrestle with our own places. Um, Yeah, if you weren't paying attention, God wants you to hear this. Jim can wrestle with his amplifiers. Yeah, if you need to wrestle with your amplifiers. Just a few moments. I'm going to pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it along with me. Um, But I do hope you will hear it. Um, and that you will, um, if you feel so called, to pray it within your own heart as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In your name, amen. Will you stand with me? As we close, I do want to let you know that if If you find yourself reaching out to God for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we have a baptism service coming up in a week or two on January 27th. We'd love to just have you be a part of this cleansing, um, symbolic, and very real place where God meets us um, to experience new life. If you want to learn more about that, just uh, reach out to us, and we'd love to share that with you. Let's, Let's sing.